Thank you for listening to this message from Tree of Life Church. Our prayer is that it will be a blessing to you and that you will find it helpful for life. So open up your heart to receive God's word for you. Heavenly Father, I I thank you for this great congregation. I thank you for the great leaders that are here. I love and admire them so much. I'm so thankful for what this church has done for heaven and Lord to make it bigger. Thank you, Lord, today that you're going to take us on a journey. I need your help. I need your help because I don't know the people in this room. I don't know anyone in this room. You're the only one that knows them. So today, Lord, if you would help. See, you're the only one that knows what they dream and what they dread. You know what they hope and you know what they fear. You know the things that they tell everybody and you know the things that they tell nobody. Because of that, you're the one who can minister. And I pray today that through the word of God and the spirit of God that you will unlock the unique combination of each heart here. And somehow you would begin to convey your truth to them so that when it's all said and done, the outcome will be this. You'll help us to be more like Jesus than ever before because that is our passionate prayer in the mighty and precious name of Jesus. And we all agree together saying, Well, um, today I want to talk to you about the faithfulness of God, but specifically I want to talk to you about God being faithful in the midst of a storm. God being faithful in the midst of a storm. If you study the Bible, you know that there's a lot of bad weather days that the Bible talks about. You go into the Old Testament and you ran into a man named Noah. He's pretty famous because there's going to be 40 bad weather days that are really going to be the center point of his life. You go a little bit further in the Old Testament, you run into a man named Jonah. And Jonah also is going to be an individual that one of the key moments in his life is going to center and focus on a bad weather day. You go a little bit further and you come into the New Testament, there were 12 men. Jesus called them his disciples. But there was something about these 12 men. If you ever put them on a boat together, it was going to be like one of those bad carnival cruise line kind of experiences. Something that you didn't want to go wrong was going to go wrong. But if you go a little bit further, you come to the book of Acts and you bump into a man named Paul and it talks about a bad weather day that he had. In Acts 27 and verse 20, it says, and the terrible storm raged. One of the things that's interesting is the Bible didn't have to qualify. It could have just said the storm, but it wants you to feel the intensity of this storm. So it uses the word terrible. It wants you to understand this isn't the average storm. This isn't that ordinary storm. It is one that has intensity to it. It not only says that uh, the terrible storm raged, but it did so day after day. So this isn't one of those storms that happens in the morning. It's gone in the evening. It happens in the evening and then it's gone by the morning. It says that this has gone on day after day after day after day. And then it not only says this, it says the intensity of the storm has been so great, it's continued so long that we no longer can see the sun above or the stars. So all perspective is now lost. All sense of being able to determine is it day, is it night, it's all gone. But then it utters these words, and these are the words that as a pastor just grip my heart. And it says that the terrible storm raged, and it raged many days, and we couldn't see the the suns and the stars 
and all hope was gone. See, I know what it's like to pastor that person. I know what it's like to pastor the person who's lost all hope that they will ever feel better. They're so used to feeling bad because of the diagnosis that was given to them. They've lost all hope that they will ever know what a normal day feels like. I know what it's like to pastor that individual who's in a marriage right now, and in their mind, they've lost hope. All our marriage will be will be what it is right now. It's never going to get any different. It's never going to get any better. It's just going to be this. I know what it's like to pastor the couple who has the teenager that's doing things they don't want the teenager to do, and they feel like all hope's gone, that somehow things are not going to change. See, I've pastored people that have lost hope. I've pastored people who believe in God, but they have no hope that they'll feel better, their marriage will be better, their career will be better, their kids will be better. I know what it's like to pastor the person who's in the midst of a storm and they feel like it's always going to be that way. This is the way it will always be. Let me build a bridge. I fly a whole lot, and so I have over uh, 4.3 million miles with American Airlines. And so I spent a whole lot of time on planes. Uh, years ago, I was flying on a flight, and as we were coming back into the DFW area, we're up to cruising altitude, uh, which is usually about 35,000 feet if you're going from west to east, which is what we were. And we're up at there. Everything on the flight seems uh, just perfect. It was before the days of iPhones and iPads and uh, personal computers. And so I literally have gotten out of my seat. I'm reaching up to the overhead. It is so vivid to me. As I'm reaching up, I'm getting a book out of a a, a bag up there. And as I reach, all of a sudden, I see the brightest light I've ever seen. Whatever you consider blinding light, that has just occurred. It's so bright that literally, if my hand were like this, I couldn't see my hand. I know my hand is there, but the light is so intense that I cannot see any image of it. Everything is totally gone, except that I know. Simultaneously with that, I hear the loudest sound that I have ever heard. So this bright light comes, this loud sound comes. It is so loud. It is deafening. And in my mind, here's what I thought. This is what it's like to be on a plane when it explodes. These are the seconds before a plane begins to disintegrate in the air. But what happens is the light begins to dissipate. The echo of the sound begins to go away. Everyone on the plane is just stunned. No one's saying anything. We're just sitting there. We're just stunned. No noise is being made. Very similar to how you're responding to my sermon right now. It's just totally quiet. Pilot doesn't come on, but I had to learn a rule of flying. If the pilot's not talking, that's good news. Because the pilots are taught this, fly the plane first, talk second. And the longer that they're not talking, it means that they're flying. And so in a few minutes, literally about four or five minutes later, the pilot comes on. And as the pilot begins to come on, he, he says this. He says, guys, we just experienced one of those things that happens in flight. It's not very regular. It's one of those uh, events. But our plane has just been hit by lightning. We want you to know that we have gone through all our checklist. Everything on our list is is just perfect. We will be proceeding with the flight. He then got on. I've only heard this one other time in flying. And he said, because I know that this is unnerving for most of you, I've now told the flight attendants, it's open bar. The drinks are on us. (laughs) 
Now, I happen to be a pastor, so I don't drink, and therefore it just meant unlimited peanuts for me, but I've just gone through it. Now, can I tell you something about being on a plane that is hit by lightning? No one got up that morning and said, God, I want to be on a plane. I want to be at 35,000 feet. I want to be hit by lightning. I want to see a light that is so bright. I want to hear a noise that is so loud that I think my plane is blowing up and exploding. Give me that kind of day. Nobody prays that. You know what people pray? God. Let this be a great day. Let this be a day that's just filled with love and joy. Let it be a day where I just feel your presence and I walk close to you. The thing I can tell you is nobody prays to be in a storm. Nobody got up this morning and said, let there be a storm in my life where I feel like my health will never improve. Let me be in a storm in my life so that I feel like my marriage will always be this way. No one prays. But people are there. In an audience this size, there are people there who are living in the storm right now. The terrible storm rages. It's gone on day after day, and you think it'll never quit. You've lost perspective of heaven above, and all hope is gone. It doesn't mean that you don't believe in God. You've just lost hope that somehow this part of your life will be any different than what it is right now. You've lost hope. If you're going to be in a storm, there's four things that you need to know, four thoughts that you need to sort of have codified in your soul so that you can pin them down and anchor them to help you during those moments. And I want to walk you through them. Number one is this, just because you're in a storm, it doesn't mean that you've done anything wrong. Just because you're in a storm, it doesn't mean that you did anything wrong. See, there's something about church that sometimes we tend to have a thought pattern that's not necessarily biblical, and that is, if life is bad, I did something wrong. It's on a Wednesday night, and I've been speaking not too long ago, honestly, and at the end of the the service, I'm out in the back because I'm a pastor. I'm shaking hands with the people that are part of my congregation. So I'm shaking hands. People are going by me, and as they go by me, they're just saying, hey, pastor, great to see you. Good message. Hey, you know, offering maybe uh, some prayer requests that they would like me to pray about. But over here to the side, there's a man. This man's not in line to shake my hand, but I could tell he's waiting for me because this isn't a handshake that he wants. He wants the conversation. So I could tell he's got his eyes on me. He's waiting for everything to clear up and he's waiting. All of a sudden I shake the last hand and he starts walking over. When he gets about three feet from me and you got to understand, this is a man's man. This isn't someone who's, who's emotionally you know, prone to extremes. This is a man's man, but as he begins, he gets three feet and I can notice that tears are running down. As he begins to step forward, he says, Pastor, I just need you to tell me. I just need you to tell me. And I'm looking at him. He's beginning to cry. He gets about him, foot in front. He, Pastor, will you just tell me? And I look at him and say, tell you what? Will you tell me what I did wrong? Will you just let me know what I did wrong? If you'll just tell me what I did wrong, I'll take care of it. I'll do whatever I have to do. I'm, I'm looking at this guy with tears rolling down his face. I'm hearing his request, but I have no clue. I have no background to this. And I, as I look at him, I said, hold on. What are we talking about? He said, Pastor, just tell me what, what I've done wrong. And I said, you're going to have to give me some background 
background and he began to go through some events in his life and they were very negative events. He says, Pastor, I know that for these to be happening, I had to do something wrong. I had to do something. If you'll just tell me what it is, I'll confess, I'll repent, I'll do what I need to do. I looked at him and I said, can I just ask this question? Have you asked God? Have you asked the God above? Have you asked him if you did anything wrong? He says, oh, I've asked. I said, has he told you anything? He said, no. I said, you understand that he's a big enough God. If you ask him a question, he can get you an answer and he hasn't. So there's a chance you haven't done anything wrong. He said, but pastor, I've confessed everything I know. And he, he had this idea, but what if I did something wrong and I didn't know it was wrong and therefore I can't confess it. And it's the reason. And I said in first John chapter one and verse nine, it says, if we confess our sins, God is faithful. How many of you are glad that we serve a faithful God? And it says that God is faithful. And if we confess, he's faithful and just to forgive us. But not only that, but he says he cleanses us of unrighteousness. And what it says in there is if you'll confess what you know, God will cleanse you of things that you did wrong, that you were unaware of. You didn't know. I looked at this guy. I said, if God hasn't told you, most likely you didn't do anything wrong. But you also need to understand this, that if you did do something wrong and you've confessed everything you know, God's cleansed you of the things that you don't know. But see, I pastor people. I've watched people tear themselves apart. I've watched them peel back layers of their life saying, I had to have done something wrong. I must have done something wrong. I did something wrong. That's the reason that I'm here. Can I tell you that night that my plane was struck by lightning? Nobody stood up and said, the pilot has sinned. But that is the first thing we do if you go to church. What did I do wrong? Nobody stood up on that flight and said, who has sinned? You know what we knew? We knew what Jesus said in John chapter 16 and verse 33. In this world, you'll have tribulation. Let me translate that. In this world, you'll have trouble. In this world, there'll be days when there will be problems. In this world, you'll have difficulty. In this world, you'll experience disappointment. In this world, there'll be some things that don't go right. In this world. How many of you understand that you're in this world? There's a few of you that don't have a clue. You don't know where you're at. But in this world, you'll have trouble. You know what happened that night our plane was hit by lightning? What happened was, is we happened to be in a world that has lightning. And we happened to be in a plane that was in the wrong place at the wrong time, and we were hit by lightning. No one did anything wrong. No one was in sin. There were no problems. We were in the midst of a moment no one wanted to be in, but we were there because we were in this world. And what I can tell you is, sometimes people are in circumstances, and it doesn't mean that they did anything wrong. It doesn't mean that they've done anything that caused that, they happen to be fulfilling what Jesus said in this world. So the first thing is, in this world. But the second thing is, sometimes you're in this world and you don't get any notice that it's coming. See, first thing, having a problem doesn't mean that you've done anything wrong. But the second thing, sometimes you don't get any notice. You don't get any clue uh, coming. You know, if you've ever played sports, uh, they will tell you this, the hit that hurts the most is the one that you didn't see coming your way. See, if you see it coming, you can sort of prep your body. You can get in an angle. You can get in a place. You can get in an area where you're sort of going to be protected. But what happens if you don't see it coming? 
In fact, what's interesting, in Acts 27 and verse 13, it says this, uh, and the winds blew softly. And they, supposing that they had their opportunity, took sail. See, the day that they left, everything seemed perfect. There didn't seem to be a storm on the horizon. There didn't seem to be anything coming their way. But in the midst of that, it says that the winds blew softly, but all of a sudden they found themselves in a storm. I can't tell you how many times someone has come up to me and said, my life was perfect until, until we got that phone call, until my boss asked me to come to his office, until that day. See, sometimes you don't get any notice and and sometimes it's a phone call. Sometimes it's one singular event and all of a sudden life goes from one place to another and you're sitting there and saying, how in the world could this happen? How could my life be perfect? How could my marriage be perfect? How could my family be perfect? Everything was perfect and then the police knocked on our door. How could everything be perfect? See, sometimes you don't get any notice. I was flying the red egg back to Dallas after having spoken. I was flying back because my son Cody, uh, he was a baseball player and he played on the best teams in Texas. He played on the best teams in college and then he played, uh, you know, minor league ball. And I would do anything to get back to be able to see him. And the next day he was going to have an early game. And so I had just gone out of my way to be able to get back to that particular game is I'm working my way to get back to, to that game. Uh, we're coming into the Dallas area, and they call it the initial descent. We've gone from 35,000 to about 20,000 feet. That's where they begin to feed you into the, um, you know, sort of the landing pattern and everything. If you'd have looked on the radar, what you would have seen that, day, seen that day was that there were storms up in Oklahoma City, and there were storms that were developing around Waco. Well, if you've got Oklahoma City storms, you've got Waco storms, you can draw a line, and you know that there's turbulent air that's beginning to mix together and storms are going to begin to fill in. You don't know if that's going to be west of Dallas. You don't know if that's going to be east of Dallas. You don't know, but everything would seem to be in play. Those storms had begun to cluster together, but there was a gap leading into the airport. But as we got to 20,000 feet, we're flying in and all of a sudden our plane just goes like this. It's like someone put their hand on top of it. It just goes like this. It begins to go straight down. We're not nosediving. It's just going like this. I literally look at the guy uh, next to me, and as I look at the guy next to me, his laptop goes all the way to the ceiling. As it goes all the way to the ceiling, it comes down. Whatever he was drinking, I don't know if it was a beer, I don't know if it was scotch, but that night he got baptized in the name of it. It went all the way up, and it came right down on top of him, and he's just smothered and whatever. You're trying everything you can. You're trying to hold on to your seat. You're trying to hold on, but the whole plane is just going like this. You're just feeling that push down you're feeling that push down and it feels like man you're just going down there's no way but it's not nose first it's the whole plane is just falling like this all of a sudden you feel the aerodynamics the wind around the plane begin the air around the plane begins to work and you begin to feel it settling down and then the pilot begins to take hold of the plane again again he doesn't come on he doesn't say anything the sooner they talk the worse news it is 
But he doesn't say anything. A few minutes he comes on and he says, what we just experienced is a thing called extreme turbulence. I need you to remember that phrase. He said, extreme turbulence. And he says, we've gone through our checklist. Everything's fine. We'll be proceeding to Dallas. And so we go and we land. Next day, I'm at Cody's game and I'm seated in the stands. I'm seated right here and Roger's right here. Now, Roger was the seventh pilot hired by Southwest Airlines. So when Southwest was just a young airline, needed pilots, Uh, Roger was the number seven pilot hired by then. Uh, Roger's watching the game. I'm watching the game. And he just said, Gerald, you know, how how was your flight in? He knew I was flying in. I said, well, our flight was a little rough last night. And he says, well, you know, there's turbulence. All turbulence is is warm air coming up and it's just bubbling up and you fill the bubbles. I said, Roger, this wasn't that. Uh, You know, I fly enough that I understand what turbulence are and gets everyone excited, but it's just rising air. Uh, and, And then I just said, the pilot called it extreme turbulence. Now, Roger's just watching the game and all of a sudden he just goes, like that. What did he say? And he raises his voice. He said, what did he say? And I said, he called it extreme turbulence. And it's like, he's mad at me. Did he really say that? I said, Roger, I'd never heard that term before last night. He said, do you know what that means? I said, I don't know what it means, but I know what it feels like. (laughs) He says, that means that when that plane lands, they've got to take it out of service. Because there was so much stress on that plane, they have to make sure that the weld dots, that none of them were fractured before they put that plane. They have to check every one of those spots. I said, Roger, last night I had to check all my spots and some of them were leaking. (laughs) Now, here's the thing about that. There was no warning. We went from one altitude to another altitude. There was none of this, hey, there's some turbulence ahead. We went from here to there. See, I watch people whose lives are here and then all of a sudden they go there. Their marriage is here, it goes there. Their life is here and it goes there. Sometimes you don't get the warning. So the first thing you've got to understand about storms is just simply this, that when storms come, it doesn't mean that you've done anything wrong. But also, sometimes you won't get any warning when a storm comes. But number three, when storms come, storms always tell you what's inside you. See, storms are x-rays of our soul. You begin to see what's really, really inside someone during stormy weather. You get to see what their life's really made of. You get to see what their life really consists of. You get to see it. And see, Jesus talked about it this way. In Matthew chapter 7, the end of the Sermon on the Mount, he makes this statement and he says, and, and there was a man who heard these sayings of mine. So this guy came to church, but he did not put them into practice. So he was one of those that did church on Sunday, but what he did on Sunday didn't affect Monday. He just went to church. He just sort of filled out his spiritual slot. He went to church on Sundays, but on Mondays, he didn't put into practice And it says, and the winds come, and the rains come. So a storm's coming. 
This guy came to church on Sunday. He may be there because of his wife, his girlfriend, grandma, whatever reason. He just shows up at church. He hears things. Yeah, that's the church thing. That's the Sunday thing. But Monday's real life. He doesn't put into practice anything. The winds come and the storms come. And it says that his house falls because we're able to see he built his house on sand. He didn't build his house on anything that could support it. But then Jesus goes on and he says, but there is a man who hears these sayings of mine and he puts them into practice. So this individual doesn't just do church on Sunday, he lives for Jesus on Monday. And because he lives for Jesus on Monday, it says the winds come and the storms come. Here's what I wished it would have said, that the winds don't come and the storms don't come. But in the Bible, in red letters, it says there will be windy days, there will be stormy days, there will be rain-filled days. And sometimes we think, well, why does that happen? You're in this world. Winds come, rains come, storms come. You didn't do anything wrong. Sometimes you don't get any warning. But it says this guy put into practice what Jesus was saying. And because he put him into practice, it says that when the winds come and the rains come, it says his house stands. Why? Because he did what God said. He built his house upon a rock, a foundation that was sturdy enough to withhold the storms when the storms of life came. But Jesus says, here's a guy who is in church. Here's a guy who's in church. Here's a guy who's in church. It's not going to affect his money. Monday, here's a guy who's in church, and it's going to affect his Monday. And we begin to see the difference. Let me build a bridge. I was flying out of LaGuardia. LaGuardia is one of the uh, three airports around New York City. You have LaGuardia here. Uh, You have Newark over here. You have JFK over here. Now, these are three major airports. If you were to look down from the sky, you'd see like a cylinder here. This is LaGuardia planes uh, circling to land, circling as they begin to take off. Over here, you see JFK circle, you see Newark circle, and because you have these circles, and then down here, you have DC, which is its own circle, which isn't in aeronautical miles that far away. When you take off from LaGuardia, you take off at a higher pitch, unlike what would happen in San Antonio or Dallas where you have a lot of opportunity uh, to have a gradual takeoff. So you take off like this. Now, here's what I need you to see. On this particular flight, I'm seated in the aisle seat. Right next to me is my wife, Jenny. Now, I've had the privilege to be married to Jenny for 42 years. She's been by my side, my constant uh, companion. She makes me better. And so she's here. So I'm, I'm sitting here and I'm here. Jenny's here. Right behind her is Cody, my son. And then right behind, beside Cody, is unknown lady. She just happens to have the seat behind me. So I need you to get it. This is me. This is Jenny. This is Cody, unknown lady. Me, Jenny, Cody, unknown lady. That's as close to dancing as I will ever get right there. That was a move of God. Uh, And so, as a result of this, we do it. We get off. We get past 10,000 feet. When we get past 10,000 feet, you hear this noise. It goes clank and the plane rotates to this side and then you feel the pilot re-engage he gets it here but you feel clank again and the plane doesn't come back to normal it's now flying like this so Cody he's right here he's in the window seat if Cody normally wanted to look at the ground he'd go like this and he'd go like this Cody doesn't have to go like this anymore all Cody has to do is go like that and he's seeing the ground square on 
So this plane's gone like this, this, this. Now we're flying like this. I'm here, Jenny's here, Cody's here. As soon as that plane goes like this, my son, who's very quiet, goes Pentecostal. He starts praying. I'm not talking about quietly. Everyone knew he was full of the Holy Ghost. And he's praying and everything. And I'm just sitting here thinking, that's my boy. He's got the Holy Ghost. He's full of the Holy Ghost. He's praying in the spirit. I'm thinking I'm going to have to interpret for everybody. He's got, he's praying in tongues. He's speaking right there. He's praying in the spirit. But simultaneously, this lady that we don't know, she starts going blankety blank in the name of blank, holy blank, mother blank, God blank, 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 blank. And, and, and some of you, you don't know what but you know what blank blank is because that's how you talk. You can interpret that. Uh, but I'm sitting there and Cody's going, she's going blank, 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 and, and it's going back and forth. The same storm is showing two things. It's showing that Cody's full of God and she's full of blank. I mean, same thing. So this is going on. Cody's praying. All of a sudden, my little wife, she puts her arm behind. She starts patting his knee. Oh, Cody, nice. 20-something years old at this time. Oh, Cody, we're going to make it. Everything's going to be fine. We're waking. Now, I've been married to the girl for 42 years. I'm getting nothing. Nobody's patting my knee. Nobody's saying we're going to make it. I'm just here. I'm a part of the singles ministry. And so the pilot comes on and and he says, guys, one of our engines is flamed out. We'll be circling around. We'll be landing back at LaGuardia when we land back at LaGuardia. um, You know, I love the way he put it. He says, there's going to be a lot of fire engines and there's going to be a lot of ambulances, but they're there to just welcome us home. (laughs) So they come back. This lady's blanking. Cody's praying in the spirit. You got these two things going on. I'm sitting here all by myself in the singles ministry. My wife's loving on my son. And so we're going through this whole thing there. We land. Everyone claps and everything. We get off. And... As soon as we get off, I turned to my wife. I said, girl, been married to you for 42 years. You, you know, I'm, the guy's been hanging with you. I said, you know, I didn't get any love during this thing. And she looked at me and she said, Gerald, the reason I didn't do anything was it didn't seem to bother you. And I thought about that later on. Why was it that I wasn't bothered when it went clank, 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 clank? And it hit me. The whole time this was happening, I looked straight ahead of me and there were the two flight attendants. And the two flight attendants, and they're not kid flight attendants, these were flight attendants that had obviously flown for a while. These two flight attendants, they never changed their conversation, never changed. Whole time the plane's going here, 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 here. They just kept their conversation. And I'm looking at people who have experience and they're not bothered. And see, can I tell you something about storms? Here's what I watch as a pastor. Someone's marriage starts going bad. You know what they do? They start finding other bad marriages to hang out. Somebody who's struggling with their kids, they find other families that are struggling with their kids. Can I tell you during a storm, you don't find people who have the same problem as you. You find people who've made it through the problem. (laughs) 
And so we're sitting there. We end up, we end up landing and everything. Everything's fine. Uh, they bring in another plane for us. We take off again. And as soon as we get to altitude, God is my witness. To, uh, you know, worrisome and disconcerting for a lot of you. I told the fly attendants, it's now open bar. Drinks are on us. I'm a pastor, I don't drink. People say, do you not drink because you're a pastor? No, I don't drink because in 42 years, I've never had anyone come up to me and say, my marriage is better because I drink. I'm a better husband, I'm a better wife, I'm a better mom, I'm a better dad. If in 42 years, no one's ever told me that they're better because of it, I said, I just didn't wanna do it. And that's too much gospel for some of you, I get it. But I just want to propose this. If happy hour made people happy, some of you should be happier than you are. (laughs) But here it is. Number one, just because you're in a storm, it didn't mean you did anything wrong. Number two, you may not get any warning. Number three, storms tell us what's really in you. They tell us what your life is really built on. Number four, Jesus specializes in bad weather days. Throughout the Gospels, you see Jesus specializing in bad weather days. When bad weather comes, you see him at his best. You see his A-game. Now, in Mark chapter 4, in verse 37, in verse 38, it says that uh, Jesus came to his disciples. They had been ministering all day. He's tired of ministering, and so he tells his disciples, we're going to get on the boat. We're going to go to the other side, and he gets in the boat, and he goes to sleep. Remember, three of the 12 are professionals at as fishermen, they're used to being on the lake. All of a sudden, a storm comes up. As the storm comes up, here's what happens. The storm comes up and they begin to lose control. One of them goes up to Jesus and wakes him up and they said to him the exact same thing we say to Jesus whenever we find ourselves in a storm. They woke him up and said, don't you care? Because that's the first thing we say. My life wouldn't be where it is if he really cared about me. I wouldn't be going through what I'm going through if he really cared about me. I wouldn't be experiencing this if he really cared about me. If he really cared about me, I wouldn't be going through. Now, what's interesting in Mark chapter four and verse 37, in fact, again, uh, I looked it up in the Greek right before the service because I've looked it up many times, but I wanted to validate it again in the, in, in the Greek. And it says, uh, but the boat was now full of water. Now, let me ask you something. When a boat's now full of water, what happens to the boat? Go ahead and say it out loud. Now, this boat's now full of water, and it's not sinking. Now, here's what you need to understand. Some of you, your biggest takeaway of this sermon so far has been this. If I ever see that guy get on a plane, I'm not getting on with him. That's been your biggest takeaway. That's been your elaborate thought from this message. If he gets on a plane, this will be a sign to you. Don't get on the plane, but you've missed the whole story. If you want to get on any plane, you want to get on my plane, because when I get on the plane, Jesus gets on the plane, and when Jesus is on the plane, it doesn't matter if we get hit by lightning. It doesn't matter if we lose an engine. It doesn't matter if we have extreme turbulence. We're getting where we're going, because when I get on the plane, Jesus gets on the plane with me. 
Do you understand this boat should be sinking, but it's not. This boat should be going under the sea, but it's not. There's only one reason that it's not is Jesus is on the boat. And if Jesus is in your marriage, it's not going under. If Jesus is in your family, your kids aren't going under. If Jesus is in your career, your career's not going under. And it just leaves one question. Is Jesus on your boat? Well, of course he's on my boat. I go to church. Church isn't your boat, this is his. There's a lot of people who'll go out to one of the big lakes and they'll get on a boat on Sunday afternoon. There's a lot of people that'll take a Sunday afternoon cruise. But the question's not will you get on Jesus' boat on Sunday, the question is, do you let Jesus on your boat on Monday? And see, that's the game changer. So is Jesus on your boat? See, I'm not sure if I got on a plane and you're on it, we're getting there. I'm not real confident in you. I may be confident that you go to a great church, but I'm not confident that you let Jesus on the plane with you. I don't know what your track record is, but here's the thing. When Jesus has access to your life, he goes where you go and he will always be there and it doesn't matter what happens around you, you are going to make it. So if your marriage is bad, you're gonna make it. If your kids are bad, they're gonna make it. If your health is bad, you're gonna make it. If your business is bad, you're gonna make it, but it all depends. It's Jesus on your boat. We're not talking about church now. We're talking about Jesus. And never let church mess up Jesus. Because some of you've let church mess up Jesus. You thought because you come to school with mom, you come to church with mama, that's enough. It's not. Because girlfriend comes here, that's enough. That's not enough. Is Jesus on your boat? Father, in the name of Jesus, I pray right now that you would speak to people. I'm limited. I can deliver a message. You're the only one that can minister it. And I pray right now that you would minister to the hearts of people. You would speak to the hearts of people. Lord, we have an opportunity whether this is gonna be a Sunday thing or this is a real thing, whether this is about church or it's about Jesus, we have a choice today. And I pray, Father, that today you're gonna help people make that choice. We hope that you enjoyed this message. You can find more messages and information about Tree of Life Church at treeoflifechurch.org. We'd like to invite you to come visit us at 5513 IH35 South in New Braunfels, Texas, or you can watch us on live stream. Thank you again for listening.